We've done the series through the narrow uh, path, and we're going to talk about the the body today. So we started. Um, well, we started with some some uh, different topics, but then we did this sort of like mini series where we talked about the 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 uh, the head, um, the heart, and now we're talking about the body, the body in worship, the body in response to you know to loving God. And um, <clears throat> I saw this uh, this uh, T-shirt uh, online here. My body is not a problem to be solved. And um, I want us to think about that for a moment. It's going to take some thought because um, for some of you, there's going to be an instant, yeah, oh yeah, I know what that's like. And others of you are going to have to scratch your head a little bit and think, um, what does that mean entirely? Um, But what I want to do is talk about this uh, famous passage, and we'll start here, in Deuteronomy, uh, which is uh, this verse known as the Shema. The Shema is read annually by the, by the Jews, by the Jewish people. And um, I have a, a client who's, who just reminded me of that. She's Jewish, and she um, uh, taught, you know, reminded me of the Shema and, and that that was something that they were going to be um, saying together as a group. And, um, and, and this, this uh, famous, really famous passage is uh, also where Christianity um, sort of derived a lot of its thought, too. Is here, O Lord, here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So there's that sort of view of God being one God rather than the plurality of gods. And uh, but then there's this other part to the verse that has built a lot of theology, particularly for Jesus and then for the disciples afterwards. And this passage is, I will, um, I'll start with Deuteronomy um, and then back up and go to. Uh, to Matthew. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, the ancient world had at least some sense that we were more than just a brain housed in a body, um, that we were, that there was something else. It was essence. There was something beyond uh, simply what you could see and observe uh, with your eyes, the physical body uh, and the brain. It was at least the mind, and they, they kind of already had developed that thought. And then also this place where they call the, the sort of gut or the inner part of themselves, which they referred to as the heart. This isn't what we conceive as up here. They conceived it as more of in the belly area or in the middle section of your, of your, um, uh, of your torso, and it was where a lot of the emotions were carried and were felt uh, was somewhere in the region from here down to here. Right. And that's generally true for most of us. So this is where we feel things. And so from early on, they began to figure out that if you feel something, this must be a section where those things are housed. Right. The emotions. So they knew about the mind. They knew about the emotions. But then there's this other idea of strength, which is what is within your physical body to do? What is your capability? What can you do? And with that, you love the Lord. So you love your, the Lord with all your, all your mind, 
in, in, in all your, your heart, rather your heart and then your soul. And the soul was where they believe the, the sort of mind, the psyche, the, uh, the, the deeper thoughts resided. And then strength, your sort of body, right? So you have these three. And these three concepts weren't really fixed because they kind of changed over time. By the time you get to the, to the Greeks, the uh, Greek philosophers, they thought of it in slightly different ways. They thought of the soul as something uh, immaterial, uh, something that was beyond the body, um, and that the body was really where the problems were. And so the soul was the pure thing. Right? Um, so, and then you get to the time of Jesus, and uh, Jesus uh, is quoted by uh, Matthew and Mark saying the same thing, love the Lord your God. And this is where we were just a, a moment ago. In Matthew chapter 22, hearing that Jesus had silenced, yep, that's it. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So there's a different three, right? He, he's kind of quoting Deuteronomy, but he's, he shifted it a little bit, right? So now we have... Heart, soul, and mind. Again, this is the evolution of how thought, the, the thinking was around the, the makeup of the human being. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it, by the time, uh, several hundred years after Jesus, uh, it became the, sort of a trichotomy, the belief of, a, of, a, of, of three parts that made us up. Um, but that, that changed as well later on. So <clears throat> the point here is not to actually define exactly how we're made up and, and that's it. But rather the point here is, I think you can get it, is that the author is saying we ought to love the Lord, our God, with everything that makes us up, whatever those components are. Are you with me? <laughs> that's, that's sort of like, uh, this is the best we know at this point. So love the Lord your God with all of that. So rather than getting hung up on like, well, is it the soul? Is it the heart? Is it the mind? Is it what, what, what's really, how are we made up? Rather than getting hung up on that, that's not the point the authors are trying to get at. They're trying to get at something deeper. And that is, can you love the Lord your God with everything that you are made up of? Can the whole of you be engaged in connection and worship with God? Um, and so, uh, then he goes on and the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. It's the loving God with all of ourselves. <clears throat> okay, let's move on. Um, <clears throat> all right, so we just uh, read Deuteronomy uh, chapter six. And here's what I want to do. I want to read um, three stories to you from um, Luke chapter seven and eight. I'm not going to put these up because they're pretty lengthy stories. Um, but it goes to this idea of, of the body. Um, now, in today's mind, today's concept, um, most understanding revolves around that we are something made up of at least what we know is thought or the prefrontal cortex, which is where the rational thought is, the decision making, um, and then sort of more the limbic or the emotional center, and then also more of the primitive part, which regulates our body. This is where we pick up on a lot of information through our body and respond accordingly, and then we process it at the prefrontal cortex, okay? So just 
That's, that's where we are today in our understanding. So if we were to say this today, we'd say, love the Lord your God with your mind, with your emotions, and with your body, with all of who we are. Um, and so, um, but I want to focus th- this morning, of course, on the body and look at these three stories. This is the one um, in Luke chapter seven, where Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman. And this is uh, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, hang on a second, let me just pause here. If you have your Bible, that's great. If you have it on your phone, that's wonderful. Here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to listen to the story like you're in, 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 in kindergarten. You're sitting around on a blanket, maybe. You've got your milk and your cookies. <laughs> And that makes you, it still works, doesn't it? I mean, some of you are like, oh yeah, that puts me right in the zone. Like I am happy with milk and cookies. (laughs) Everything's fixed by that. Whatever existential problems you have, a glass of milk and some cookies will fix it. Um, So you're sitting on a blanket, you've got your milk and you've got your cookies. You're relaxed and you're about to hear a story. And I want you to call on your imagination and just enter into that space with me and see if you can envision it in your mind as this is happening. C.S. Lewis said that's how we're supposed to read the scriptures. So I think one of the most brilliant thinkers of the 20th century was onto something significant. Since you can't read the Bible without your imagination. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him in what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay it back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Do you see her? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. 
Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped, stopped, uh, or stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the immature spirit to come, or the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. One more story. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. A man named Jairus, the synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. All right, children, you can all look up now. So three stories of three kinds of people whose presence was not welcomed in society. Three types of people, three kinds of, and there were many more that were not welcomed. Whose bodies themselves were a problem when they entered into the space that they were in. The woman who was sinful and came into the house of this unnamed Pharisee and began weeping and washing the feet of Jesus with her hair was an impure woman who was not regarded well and was to be stayed away from, particularly by people like Jesus, who was a rabbi and a teacher. Her body was not welcomed 
in this room, in this place. She could stand on the outside and she could listen from a distance, but she was not supposed to be in there with Jesus. And certainly the Pharisee who was sitting there was waiting for one of the disciples, the bodyguards of Jesus or Jesus himself to say and to uphold what a societal value was, which was to say this person should not be in here. That's what they were waiting for. They weren't, the the Pharisee wasn't the responsible one to actually push her out. That was Jesus's role. He was supposed to say, you have to stay outside. You know the social values here. You know how this works. You know that because you're an impure person in the scriptures, in the Bible, you're not supposed to be near us. You're supposed to stay away. And then you have the story of this man of the Gerasenes, or the Gadarenes, depending upon the translation, who has some kind of what's called a demonic possession. And whatever his erratic behaviors were, he was clearly understood to have demons. Demons were impure things, and he was not to be around other people. In fact, the spirits themselves drove him away from everybody. But he was not welcomed to be part of the group, and yet Jesus makes his way toward him. His body wasn't welcomed. Third story. This woman who had been bleeding and had been bleeding for a long time. When a woman was in her menstrual period, she was considered unclean and not to be near other people's, particularly not to touch them. And here she is pressing into a crowd. Now, if you don't, if you got the picture while you were imagining this, she was part of a throng of people who were coming around Jesus and virtually crushing him. Have you ever been in a crowd on maybe uh, New Year's Eve or something and you have all these people pressing in against you? You're trying to get onto the train uh, on, a, on a work day in the morning to head into Boston and, or to go home. And there are people crowding and pressing into each other. Ancient cultures did this and did this with quite a bit, particularly because it wasn't the sense of the bubble that we all have today as Americans. People pressed into each other and they wanted to touch Jesus. They wanted to be near him. They are constantly touching him. And here is this impure woman who presses her way in, undoubtedly touching a lot of physical bodies on her way there and touches Jesus. Her body was also not welcomed. Now I want to talk about this because a lot of us know what that's like. I'm not talking about groups of people. I'm talking about every single one of us sitting here this morning. You see, if you're short, tall, overweight, underweight, black, brown, white, male, female, hyperactive, too calm, too masculine, too feminine, too smart, too dumb. You've been affected by it. Am I right? There's been some kind of comment that's been made to you. 
Let me, let me even say about good looking people, great looking people. Now you may not empathize with them, but they have shared at times I've heard from them in tears saying that the only thing that they ever are seen for is their appearance and nobody cares about anything more. And they feel broken by that. It's almost as if none of us get to escape this sense. When we were children, and I remember this vividly because I was a hyperactive boy, constantly in motion. And the constant comments that were made about me was sit still and stop moving. Now that's funny now, but when I was six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, all the way through into my teenage years, I always knew there was something wrong with me and I could not control it. My body would move on its own without any thinking. It's just the way I was made. I don't know why, but I became very focused on that. There was always something I've heard from many people, women, men, people of color, my body's a problem wherever I go. Okay? And so from early on, we carry this sort of shame. I have to control something. I've heard from many of you ladies, many of whom do not make excuses or complain, but have said, yes, I know that my body has had to somehow be controlled, treated a different way because simply because I'm a woman. I've heard from some of you men who said, I never quite fit in because I was too overweight and picked on in school or I was too skinny. I remember how when I was so, I was a kid, I was so skinny and the jokes were funny, hilarious. You have to run around the shower in order to get wet, Joel. That's a good one. That's a really good one. I actually thought that was amazing. I was like, wow, that's really good. I like it. That's, I'm going to use that. Thank you. Um, those comments didn't cut as deep, but there were other ones that cut so deep. And even though I faked it, like it didn't hurt, it hurts. And then there was some kind of control around the body. When we enter into places where, do you, let me just, let me put it in this way. Let me rewind a little bit, put it this way. Do you wonder why people have to be inebriated before they can really relax and enjoy themselves? Physically, I'm talking about, as well as emotionally. I mean, we could have, I could have done this whole thing around emotions just as easily. I got plenty of clients who actually tell me they do drugs, they do alcohol, they do a lot of things in order to finally feel their own emotions or to repress their emotions. It's remarkable. I talked to one, yeah, I do weed. Why? To try to control this. I just, I'm always feeling too many emotions. It helps me come to another one. The only time I ever feel anything is when I do weed. It's, it, it's, it's really like at that level on the emotional spectrum, right? But physically too, it's like when we drink, and we party, there's a relaxing, and we suddenly do not care what we appear like, and, and then we just let go, and then we're funny, and then we're enjoying ourselves, right? right? That, 
And we wish we could carry that over. It never carries over into real world, into real life without the alcohol, right? We wish we could. And so when we come in on Sunday morning and charismatics have been practicing this for a long time, has been using the body to engage in worship, there's at first a hesitancy and you watch this. People go, you know, wow, people are raising their hands. And just like, you know, just stand there like this. And then pretty soon after a number of weeks or months, people start going like, you know, maybe I can raise one hand in worship, you know, and, you know, and then eventually it's just, you know, oh, maybe two hands, but I'll do it down here. Cause that's like, uh, you know, it's not going to draw a whole lot of attention. And eventually it starts making its way up and then it's, you know, arms up and, in some circles, even then dancing. And there's a release. People describe an emotional, physical release, mental. It's a whole body release when they're fully engaged and they're worshiping that way. I think of how many people have described experiencing God through their body. How many of you have experienced God in your physical body? Like, Give me some examples. For me, I get goosebumps. What do you guys get? Shaking. Shaking. Okay. Yeah. What else? I call it the scrunchies. I start going like this and I can't know why. Okay. <laughs> but I know it's the Holy Spirit. It's not me doing it. Yeah, this is like a, a flexing of the muscles or a body, like motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else? Uncontrolled tears sometimes. Tears? Yeah. Some people even say they're not sad tears. right, right. There's not sad tears, but it's it's tears. Yeah. So I've described it as like I'm, I'm crying. I have no idea why. Like my body's crying. So it's a strange thing. Um, what else? Overwhelming, just overwhelming joy, engaging. Mm-hmm. Okay. What else? Physical sensations. Think about physical sensations. What do you physically feel in your body? Warm, tingling hands. Yeah. Chills. Chills. Yeah. I see light. You see light. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's another sensation, right? It's the sight. The seeing that's beyond the seeing. It's like I see the physical, but then there's something else that happens there. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What else? Some people say they hear things. They've, they've heard um, different sounds, like more voices singing than what was in the room. People have described that. Now, these are spiritual experiences, not just by charismatics or Pentecostals. These are people that have spiritual experiences outside of those circles. Auditory, you know, it's physical sensations, taste. Some people have tasted things. Um, it, it's it's uh, very, very physically experienced. So, what I want us to do this morning is um, in worship. We're going to do some of this, and then we'll do some more um, around the, the communion. Um, I was going to say communion table, but we don't really stand around that. We come up front here, and we'll stand in a circle, and we'll do some, some uh, practices this way to experience um, God within our physical bodies. What I'd like to say is, uh, it, it, as a closing thought is that in every one of these stories, Jesus welcomes the fullness of the person's body back in. And I think that one of the things that is so important, and I've been practicing this with a number, and I've referenced this, I've said clients, some of you might be wondering, does he have clients? Yeah. Um, so, and I do um, 
a spiritual transformational type of coaching outside of this uh, with people across the country. And one of the things that um, have I've run into over and over again is uh, people having to really welcome back their body because they've repressed it so much that the only way they can actually experience anything spiritual is through one center. And generally it's, it's either the head, it's the way I think about things or the way I, and it, or other times, yeah, there's some emotion as well. Like I, it's, I want to feel emotionally, I want to feel God, but over and over again, it's the body that seems so repressed um, by people all over the, all over the country. And so I lead them through practicing a welcoming back of their body. Because if we're going to experience God through more than just one way, and how many of us want to experience God full body experience, our thoughts being blown away by God, our emotions being so deeply touched, there's overwhelming joy, laughter and tears and our bodies physically feeling and sensing God. And I think that's what the authors had in mind when they said, love the Lord your God with everything, head, heart, body. I mean, it's, it's not just, I love this concept of a God. No, love God. See, your body doesn't have a concept of God. That's only your head. <laughs> My heart and flesh cry out to you. I think that's Psalm 73. The, the very body itself doesn't, it doesn't have a concept of God out there. It has an experience of God. It feels God. The emotions don't think about God. The emotions are impacted with great love and great sadness and great joy and great, just the entirety of the emotions are impacted by the divine. It is that that they feel, people feel and experience this from uh, contact with God, a release in that space. And so when we love God with everything in us, we are also experiencing or living life fully engaged, head, heart, and body. We're not living life single dimension, just kind of making it through. No, you're embracing the entirety and living wide open to this world and to God. You think about one other story, and I was going to read it, but it's when the little children run to Jesus and the disciples who were Jesus's effectively bodyguards, because that's what they did to manage crowds. They are trying to shoo away the, 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 the little children. And what is Jesus's response? Now, if it were, to, if it were in my words today, it would be, don't shame them. Their little bodies are welcomed into my presence as they are without editing. See, these, these children didn't edit themselves the way we edit ourselves today. Oh, right. My body's too hyperactive. Oh, right. I do weird things. With them. I'm awkward with my body. Oh, right. I got to, okay. So make sure I, uh, it, there's none of that going on. It's I'm here. And then they learn shame because of the way adults respond to them. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's exactly who the kingdom of heaven is for, is those who can engage me and engage this world with their whole selves and love the Lord your God with your head and with your emotions and with all of your body. 
And now you're living. Now you're alive. Now that's the second naivete because you have to approach this. And I use that term from C.S. Lewis who called it the second naivete. You have to open yourself up again and, and go in with that naivete. But it's a second one because you've learned you can get hurt. No, in fact, guess what? You will get hurt. But you also know that this is the only way to live. It's fully engaged. So let's worship. And let's worship with our bodies. Good morning, everyone. So this is by Maya Angelou. And I thought it fits so well with the narrow path and what we're doing here. (sighs) My blessing for you is that you continue. Continue to be who and how you are to astonish a mean world with your acts of kindness. Continue. Continue to allow humor to lighten the burden of your tender heart. Continue. Continue to let gratitude be the pillow upon which you kneel to say your nightly prayers. Continue and let faith be the bridge you build to overcome evil and welcome good. Continue. Continue to ignore no vision which comes to you to enlarge your range and increase your spirit. Continue. Continue to dare to love deeply and to risk everything for that good thing, the narrow path. Continue. Continue to float happily in the sea of infinite substance, which he set aside riches for you before you had a name. Continue. And by doing so, you and your work will be able to continue eternally. Have a blessed week. Amen.